All right, let's pray this morning. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for an amazing group of people, people who are running after you, following you. And now I pray that you would speak into our lives things that will help us on our journey, receive all of your blessings, all that you have for us in this life. Speak to us now in Jesus' name, amen. We started a series last week for three weeks entitled, Who Are You? Who Are You? When you make an acquaintance, you spend time with the person talking, asking questions because you want to get information. Where do you work? What's your family like? How many kids do you have? How long have you been married? Uh, you know, one question than another. Where, where did you grow up? You know, what was your family like? On and on and on. You ask all these questions because you want to know who that person is. Well, I believe it's the same thing as we walk through life with God. We, through time, through walking with him, spending time with him, digging into his word, we begin to discover and learn for ourselves who God really is. The longer you walk with God, the more time you spend in his word, you mo the more you will understand about who he is. And a lot of people will, in, in difficult situations in life, look to heaven and say, God, where are you? And God, what can you do? God, who are you? This series will help answer a few of those questions. Because what we're doing is we're looking at nine Old Testament compound names of God. Now, com by compound names... Nine different times in the Old Testament when the Lord says, I am Jehovah Dash, and then a word behind it that describes who he is. See, when God says, I am, and he gives us a name, his name tells us who he is and what he will do in our lives. So last week we talked about, I am the Lord, your righteousness. I am the Lord, your sanctification. And I am the Lord, your peace. We talked about things that happen when we accept Jesus and we come to the cross. Now, today we're going to move in a little different direction, looking at three more names of God. And I'm going to move quickly today. But look, if you would, first of all, at Ezekiel chapter number 48, the very last verse. And we're going to look at the second half of this verse, but let's read the whole verse together. All the way around shall be 18,000 cubits. Does that mean anything to anybody yet? Okay. I didn't, I didn't mean wake you up. <laughs> and, and the name of the city from that day shall be the Lord is there. Now, the, if you read through Ezekiel, there's a lot of chapters, you know, 48, a lot of it's prophetic. In the last few chapters, God is really describing what things are going to look like when his kingdom comes upon the earth and into our lives. And he's giving us this description in this last chapter of what the city would look like. And the city doesn't even have a name as such except the Lord says, when the kingdom comes into your life, your dwelling place, the city, the place where you live and dwell will simply be known as the Lord is there. The Lord is there. You see, I would like for my life to continue to grow to the place that people look at me and say, the Lord is there. The Lord is there. One of the things I love about new people who come to our church, oftentimes they will say to me, I walk through the doors and I sense the presence of God. In other words, the Lord is there. And this morning I want to begin with this name, and it's going to set up the other two names we're going to look at. 
Because God is trying to make a statement to us when he says, I am Jehovah Shammah. He says, I am the Lord who's going to be with you. No matter who you are, no matter what your past looks like, no matter what you think your future looks like, if you're a child of God, if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter where you go, no matter what's going on in your life, the Lord is there. There have been times in my life when I've looked around and thought, God, where in the world are you? And then I remembered his name. The Lord is there. The Lord is there. You know, in, in the Old Testament, there was this understanding of the Old Testament followers of God that God was for us. That's really the message of the Old Testament. God is for us. And then Jesus comes, God manifested in the flesh, and the angel said his name would be called Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So the Old Testament says God's for us. Jesus comes, and now the message from God is God is with us. But Jesus said when the Holy Spirit comes, he will be in you. In you. So the message of God is, I'm not just for you, I'm not just with you, I am in you. I am going to always be present no matter where you are, no matter what's going on in your life. You know, in the Old Testament, David, the psalmist, he grasped this. You know, David went through a lot of hard times. I mean, from the time he was a teenager, his life was a whirlwind. It was one struggle to the next, one battle to the next. He'd conquer one giant, and here came the next one. It was always something with David. But it's interesting. If you look at Psalms 139, this is what David said. Where can I go, Lord, to escape your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. How many of you think this morning, if you went to heaven right now, the Lord would be there? You think so? All right. David said that. He said, if I ascend into heaven, you are there. But then he said this. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you're there too. See, some of you are sitting in church today and you're saying, you know what? You have no idea what my life is, looks like right now. You have no idea what I've been going through this week. I've been going through hell. Friend, I'm here to tell you today, you may be going through hell right now, but God is there and it's going to be okay. Don't give up. Just keep trusting him. Keep on holding on to his promises. A lot of Christians don't understand the concept of this, but let me explain it real quickly. Because I think there are times in life when we do feel like we're all by ourselves. We're all alone trying to, to figure it out and sort it all out. One of the things that I think every believer needs to really understand is when Jesus went to the cross, he took our sin. And when God looks upon sin, he does one of two things. He judges it or he shows mercy. But in order for God to show mercy to you and me for our sins, he put them on Jesus, and on the cross, he judged Jesus, his son, for our sins. And here's what happened. Jesus, at the most painful, broken moment of his entire natural, physical life, the only thing he knew to do hanging on the cross was look to the Father. But God thrust our sins upon Jesus, and God turned his head away from his son and judged him for our sin and Jesus cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me every believer needs to understand today Jesus 
was forsaken, that you and I would never, ever, ever, ever be forsaken. It's a part of the covenant of Calvary. It's a part of what he did on the cross. So the writer of Hebrews said, the Lord has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you because Jesus paid the price that the presence of God could always be with us, even in our worst, darkest moment. God said, I am Jehovah and I will be there. Aren't you glad for God's presence in your life today? He's an amazing God. He's amazing. What does God know? God knows everything. What can he do? He can do anything. Where is he? He is everywhere. And when is he there? He's there all the time. He's Jehovah Shammah. He's the Lord who is there right in the middle of your circumstances. Which leads us to number two. I want you to look at Exodus 17. We're going to look at three names and three passages of Scripture. And I think they all tie together today. The Lord is there. But number two, in Exodus 17, we have the story of Israel on their journey from the land of bondage in Egypt going to the promised land, Canaan land. And the Bible tells us that when God led them out of bondage, he took them the long way around because he didn't want to take them to war immediately because they'd been slaves their whole lives. They didn't know how to fight. They were fearful. And God said, I'm going to lead them this way. I'm going to work miracles. I'm going to teach them my nature. I'm going to teach them to trust me. And then we'll go in and fight battles and possess the land. So God takes them the long way around. And on the journey, they came up against the Amalekites. And the Amalekites said, no, you're not passing through our land. We're going to attack you if you come our way. Israel came the way, so they attacked them. And here's the story of what happens. Look, if you would, Exodus 17, verse 9. And Moses said to Joshua... Choose us some men, go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Now I want you to pause right here for a moment because I want to show you something here. Moses said, tomorrow we're going to go down the valley and fight the Amalekites. Joshua, you take the armies and go fight. I'm going to go up on top of the mountain and I'm going to stand here with the rod of God in my hand. Now you have to understand If you go back to Moses' experience at the burning bush, his shepherd's staff, which was the rod of Moses, became the rod of God. God said, Moses, what do I put in your hand? He said, all I got is this rod. God said, that's enough. Throw it down. He threw it down and the rod became a snake. He grabbed it by the tail and became the staff again. And what you find is when he went back to the land of Egypt and he began to address Pharaoh one time after another, every time Pharaoh said, I won't let the people go, Moses would stretch out that rod and another plague would hit the land. Finally, Pharaoh let him go. And they start their journey out and they get to the Red Sea and Pharaoh's chasing after them. What does Moses do? He stretches out that rod and God parts the waters and leads them across. Miracle after miracle after miracle happens because Moses has got the rod of God in his hand. Well, now they're going to go to battle for the very first time. And Moses says to Joshua, you take the army down in the valley. I'm going to go up on top of the mountain. And when the people get fearful or weary or tired, they just turn around and look. And they'll see the rod of God and they'll know everything is going to be okay. So this is the battle plan. Now, look at verse 10. So Joshua did as Moses said to him. And he fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, 
Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Read a little further. And the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua. In other words, pass this story on to the next generation. That I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. God said, I'm going to fight against Amalek over and over and over again until he's totally done. Verse 15. As Moses built an altar and called its name, the Lord is my banner. Literally, it says Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. For he said, because the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. It's an interesting story. And as I go through this story, there's so much there. And like I told you last week, every one of these names, I could spend a full Sunday, but I didn't want to take nine weeks to do this series. But I want to show you two or three things out of this story. Number one, after this amazing victory where, you know, Moses is up on top of the mountain holding up his hands, the rod of God's in his hands, the battle's going great. He gets tired and goes, oh, man, I need to rest for a minute here. All of a sudden, the tide of the battle shifts and they begin to lose. And all of a sudden, he watches. As his hands are up, they win. Hands are down, they lose. So Aaron and Hur set Moses down on a, on a rock and they hold up his hands all day long so that Israel could win the battle. But when the battle is over, Moses builds an altar. I want to ask a question today. Has God ever done an amazing thing in your life? How about two things? Has God done 15 or 20 amazing things in your life? Isn't it amazing? Every now and then I'll run across somebody and in the course of conversation, you know, somebody will say, well, what's God done for you in your life? Uh, 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 I can't remember. You know what I think? I think when God does something amazing, amazing, we need to do something to mark that moment. We need to build some kind of a memorial, some kind of an altar, and say, don't forget what God did this day because he showed us his nature. We can't forget the things that God has done. So Moses builds this altar and he says, you know what? I don't want this moment to be lost. The victory is great. We wiped out the Amalekites. This is wonderful. But in the middle of all of this, the people of God need to know the Lord is our banner. And to that, most people would say, big deal. So what? What does that mean? If you've ever seen the movie Braveheart, you know, when the armies representing tribes of people and nations of people, when the armies would get ready to go to battle, they'd go out and they'd have a pole with a big banner, a big flag hanging on that pole that said, we are the Scottish people, or we are this tribe, or we are that tribe. We're proud of our tribe. We're proud of our heritage. We are warriors. We will not be defeated. We will fight you all the way to the death. And they would go about with their own banner representing the people that they were. But Moses that day realized when the battle was over, this is not about Israel. 
This is not about the Jewish people. This is not about the slaves who came out of Egypt. This is not the people who are on their way to the promised land. This battle has taught us a lesson. It is God who has given us the victory. God is the one who made all this happen. And we want to build an account that says the Lord's flag flies over our camp. And I want to ask you a question today. Whose flag is flying over your life? Hmm? When problems arise, when situations come along, when there's a battle to be fought, whose flag is flying over your life? Oh, I know whose flag is flying today because it's Sunday. It's God's flag on Sunday. But what about Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? Shouldn't the Lord's flag answer every cry and every battle that comes our way? Shouldn't we always, first of all, turn to God and say, God, what does your word say about this battle? What do you want to do in this situation? Shouldn't we always look to God first to be our banner and our flag? It's interesting as you look in Old Testament Israel. Psalm 68.1, there's a verse of Scripture, and I'm going to date myself a little bit, but everybody knows I'm already over 40, so I'll go ahead and date myself a little bit over 40. I wasn't lying. I'm just, I, that's the truth. I am over 40, okay? But, but back in the mid-1980s, late-1980s, we used to sing this chorus in church. Let God arise, his enemies be scattered. You know, some of the children in children's church used to sing, let God arise and his enemies be splattered. E- either way, it's good, you know. Let God arise. It's straight from the Psalms. Let God arise and his enemies be scattered. We used to sing that song, and it was a fun song. It was a cool song. But what that song was talking about and what Psalm 68, the whole psalm talks about, is what happens when God is the banner that flies over the camp. Let me tell you something. If God's flag is flying over every area of your life, every area of your life is going to be okay. Whose flag is flying over your camp. Because you see, what would happen was in Old Testament Israel, when they're in the wilderness, they would set up the tabernacle. You know, they they followed the the cloud by day and the fire by night. When the cloud stopped, they would stop and set up camp and they'd put the tabernacle out and get it all set up. And then each of the tribes had an exact place where they camped. And there was an exact model and order that they followed. And everybody just set up their camp and they would stay there. And God's house was the center of life. And they always knew that the most important thing in that entire camp was God and his flag flying over their camp and their lives. But when the cloud began to move or the fire began to move, all of a sudden the people had to pack up, pack up their goods, pack up their tents, pack up the tabernacle, get everything picked up and start following the cloud. And when it came time to move, they found in Old Testament Israel, it became a regular battle cry that they would jump to their feet and say, let God arise and his enemies be scattered. We're on to the next battle, on to the next adventure, but God is among us. So let's flag, fly his flag because it's all going to be okay. That was their battle cry. Let God arise. Let his enemies be splattered. But you know, sometimes, sometimes on Thursday or Friday, by the time the end of the week rolls around, a problem comes along and I start flying the flag of the almighty dollar over my life, thinking that's going to fix things. And sometimes I think the flag of the doctor and the flag of medicine is going to solve my problems. And sometimes I I go back to my family roots because I know somebody in the family who's got an old family recipe. Maybe that'll work a little bit better. 
Friend, I'm going to tell you something. If you want to win your battles, you've got to fly the flag of Jesus over your life and over every situation that happens. That you don't turn to the right or the left, but you trust the Word of God and you believe that God will make you victorious. Let God arise. His enemies be scattered. I'm going to tell you something. When the rod of God is raised, and let me show you the comparison here. When Moses raised the rod of God, those warriors down in the valley who had never fought a battle before, who were like, God, I don't know, I didn't know how to do this. They look up on the mountain and see Moses with the rod of God, and they say, I don't know how to do this, but God's going to turn it out okay. I'm going to get in there and fight because he'll help me win. It encouraged them. It built their faith. And when we fly the flag of the Lord over our lives and trust him in every situation, he's always there to show up to be involved in that battle that we fight. Because he's the Lord. He's our banner. Let's fly him over our every single area of our lives. And then the third thing, and like I said, this all ties together. But look at 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. I think when you start talking about battles, one of the great stories in the Bible is David and Goliath. Everybody knows about David and Goliath. Even people don't go to church. People don't know anything about God. They know about David and Goliath. Here this teenage kid. We got any teenagers in the house this morning? That's pretty weak. Do we have any teenagers awake in the house this morning? All right. Scripture says David, the King James says he was ruddy and of a fair countenance. That means he was a cute kid, but he wasn't old enough to shave, basically is what that means, you know. He's just a kid. This guy killed the giant that nobody else in the camp, nobody else in the army wanted to fight. David wasn't even a member of the army. He wasn't trained in battle. He's the one that killed the giant. We know the story. But I'm going to read part of the story, and I'm going to show you four things about God's name that we need to understand. Look at 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with the sword, with the spear, and with the javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Verse 46, this day, and notice what he says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. This teenager means business. He ain't playing games. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to just hit you. I'm going to cut your head off. Serious. That's serious stuff. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Not only you, I'm going to kill you and cut off your head, but then all your people, we're going to kill them and feed them to the wild animals. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. In verse 47, then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. I want everybody in this room to say those last few words with me. For the battle is the Lord's. Young people, I want you guys to say it really loud while we say it one more time. For the battle is the Lord's. And he, the Lord, will give you, Goliath, the giant, into our hands. Now, I'm, I'm going to talk to these teenagers in just a moment, specifically. 
But I want to talk to you about this story, and I want to just share some things that every believer needs to understand. In this life, you are going to have some battles. It's the nature of life. You are going to have battles. Oh, if you just give your heart to Jesus, you'll never have another problem. If you give your heart to Jesus, you just swap one set of problems for another set of problems. There's going to be battles. That's the truth. There are going to be battles. Either way you go, you follow Jesus, you don't follow Jesus. You're going to have battles in this life. Here's what Peter wrote about it, 1 Peter 5. He said, be sober and be vigilant because you have an adversary, the devil, who goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What did Jesus say about Satan? He said he's come to steal. He's come to steal. He's come to kill. And he's come to destroy. Every good thing God has ever given you, the enemy wants to take it away from you. And we have to determine, are we going to fight or are we going to let the enemy ransack our lives? See, a lot of Christians have never been taught about spiritual warfare. Friend, the enemy is not someone to fear. The Lord's the one you need to fear. The Lord's the one you need to trust. There's no reason to be afraid of the devil, no reason whatsoever, but you need to understand the authority and the power and the victory we have in Jesus. Because David got ready to go out and fight Goliath, and he said, Goliath, you come against me with this big shield and this big sword and this big spear and this javelin, man, you got all this stuff. He said, I want you to know I come to you in the name of of the Lord of, jo of Lord of hosts. Now listen closely to this. The Lord is Jehovah, and I won't pronounce it right, but I'll be close, Sabaoth, which means he's the Lord of hosts, which a better translation means he's the Lord of the armies. See, David looked Goliath in the eye and said, hey, you make all the noise you want to make, and you may be well-trained in battle, and I don't have any idea what I'm doing, but the Lord is on my side, and the Lord is the Lord of all the armies, and he's going to win this battle. As a matter of fact, it's his battle, so you might as well get ready for it. I'm going to destroy you today and wipe out all of your people because God is going to give me victory. Here's what else, here's what else Peter wrote. He said, you have this enemy who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, resist him. Resist him. Resist him. It's amazing how many Christians let the enemy steal this and steal this and steal this and steal this. And well, I guess God's just teaching me a lesson. Yeah, he's teaching you you need to learn how to fight because the enemy will do that to you until you rise up to fight. You got to learn how to fight. He said, resist him. Be steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same battles are being experienced by brothers all over the earth. Friend, if you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to fight the enemy, or he will steal everything God's given you. Everybody smile at me. See, we live, we live in a pacifist day, a pacifist generation. Oh, peace, peace, peace. We don't want any wars. We don't want any problems. You know, let's just take it in the teeth. It don't matter. It don't. I mean, every time you take it in the teeth, you lose something else. Spiritually speaking, now set that aside. Spiritually speaking, we need to learn some lessons. Number one, from David, your enemy is God's enemy. Do you know that? 
Your enemy is God's enemy. God and Satan aren't buddies. They're not having dinner. They're not talking about what's going on in your life, saying, oh, isn't that cute? Isn't that good? Oh, yeah. No, they're enemies. And you need to understand the things that are trying to steal from you, the things that are trying to take away your joy, your life, your provision, your supply, your health, everything else God has given you, those things are enemies, and they're not only just enemies of you, they're enemies of God. So what does that mean? That means if you're willing to fight them, God will give you victory over them. God will give you victory because it's his enemy too. As a matter of fact, flip that around, vice versa. Your enemies are God's enemies. God's enemies are your enemies. That's why he gave us his word, to walk us away from the enemy. Your enemies and God's enemies are the same. So therefore, we need to look to the Lord who wins battles, the Lord of all the armies, to come bring victory into our lives. But number two, if you're going to fight, you better get your ammunition before you go to battle. This is good. I don't know if anybody's enjoying this, but I'm enjoying this. <clears throat> it's second service. We're in no hurry. We got all day. <laughs> how, how many? How many want to stay all day? Well, y'all can stay all day. I'm gonna leave here in a few minutes and go eat lunch, but you can stay if you want. <clears throat> I think it's really important, really, really, really important to understand that David. He's a shepherd. He's only there because he came to visit his brothers and bring them food. He gets there and this giant of a man's mocking them. And David says, why doesn't somebody go out and kill this guy? Why don't go go deal with him? So finally, you know, it's a long story, but David winds up out there in the battlefield. And David's telling Goliath, I'm going to kill you. It's all there is to it. I'm going to chop your head off. I'm going to destroy all your people. It's all there is because the battle is the Lord's. David, when he finishes his speech... Goliath starts running towards him. He's quite a ways off because they're each on a hillside. There's this valley. So he starts running towards David. So David heads out towards him. At the bottom of this valley, there's a brook, a little bit of water flowing. Scripture says David went down to the brook and picked up five smooth stones. Because he's a shepherd. He's got a sling. Picks up five smooth stones, puts them in a pouch because he knew he was going to need ammunition for the battle. There are way too many people in the church sitting back saying, well, if God wants me to win, he'll make me win. If God doesn't want me to win, he's just trying to teach me a lesson. And you just never know about God. Can I tell you, I know about God because I've read his word. I've read where it said he is the Lord of the armies. And if I'm fighting his enemy, he wants to fight that enemy with me. And there's no reason for me to let the enemy steal the things that God has promised to me. See, some of you parents, right? Some of you parents need to get sick and tired of the devil raiding your kids. You need to get up and get in his face and say, leave my kids alone. He belongs to the Lord. Some of you need to start fighting for your children. Don't let the enemy steal them away. You need to start fighting for your job and your income. You need to start fighting for your health. Don't sit back and say, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. No, whatever you let happen is what's going to happen. And as long as the enemy can ransack your life, he'll do it over and over and over again. That's why God said, I'm going to fight Amalekites from, gener- from generation to generation. I'm going to keep fighting them and keep fighting them and keep fighting them. They're your enemies. They're my enemies too. 
excuse me for getting emotional. I raised two boys and I had to fight for them. But Dave went down to the brook and he, he got his ammunition. Every promise of God is ammunition. Everything that God said about himself is ammunition. Everything that God has said about me, it's ammunition. And friend, if I don't know the ammunition, I can't use the ammunition. And if I think I can go out to battle without ammunition and win, I am kidding myself. But if I will go out there in the name of the Lord of hosts and begin to tell the enemy what God says about him and begin to tell him what the end is going to be, God will give me victory. Young people, I want you guys to hear me for a minute. Everything I'm sharing today is so important if you will grasp this. David was a teenager. Everybody else is afraid to fight. He killed the giant because he believed God. Don't live a life saying, well, someday I'm going to learn how to kill giants. No, you start killing giants right now. Start taking God at his word right now. Start putting the enemy in his place right now. Because, you know, God has a place for the devil. Do you know where God keeps the devil? It's kind of like right there. Do you know where you need to keep the devil? Right there. Right there. I kind of feel like an old-fashioned evangelist this morning. Man, I wish I'd wore my three-piece suit and my tie. Get your ammunition before you go to battle. Number three, I got to hurry. My time's almost gone. If you're going to win, you're going to have to fight. People say, wow, David, he was an amazing guy. This shepherd goes out to fight this giant of a man. Now, some, some people think he was 8 or 9 feet tall. Some people believe he was 10 or 12 feet tall. I don't know how big he was, but he wasn't clumsy. He wasn't an ogre. He was a warrior. I mean, most guys in Israel couldn't even pick up his, his sword. He was so big and strong. He'd take two hands just to lift it off the ground. This guy's a monster. David went out and killed him. Here's what he did. He went out and used the only thing he had, the only thing he knew that would work. He walks out there with five smooth stones and a sling, shepherd's sling, which he knew how to use, and evidently he was a pretty good marksman. You know, I heard somebody one time say, well, if David's such a hot shot, how come he took five stones? Why do you need five stones for? Why wouldn't one be enough? If you read the scripture, it said Goliath had four brothers. He was ready for all of them. Some of y'all go down, I'm going to go down and get me a stone out of the brook. You better go down there and get the whole load and fill that pouch because there may be more coming. So what David does, he puts, here's Goliath, here's this monster running at him. He puts a stone in the sling, gets it around his head, and lets it go. It's amazing how many Christians would have been sitting back in camp saying, well, if God wants us to have the victory, God will give us the victory, glory to God. No, sometimes... Some, sometimes God's glorified when I'm sick, and sometimes God's glorified when I lose everything and can't pay my bills, and sometimes God's glorified when none of my family wants to serve God. When you're acting like that, none of your family's going to serve God. Friend, nobody wants to be a loser. This is good preaching this morning. Now, I, I used to... This, this would be hard for some of you to believe. I used to play ball. I used to play ball. I, I, was, I was a pretty good ball player. And I was playing in two or three softball leagues a week back years ago. And I joined this one team. And, like, these guys were champions of the league every year. I mean, every, we, we won it every single year. I joined the team. We just kept winning, just kept winning, just kept winning. And a bunch of Christian guys, good bunch of guys. But 
Here's the thing. We just kept winning, 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 winning. And one of the guys on the team had a little slogan. He said, you show me a good loser. I mean, I mean no, you're supposed to be a good loser. He said, you show me a good loser and I'll show you a loser. It's time for us in the church to get tired of losing and get up in the devil's face and say, the Lord of the armies is on my side. I'm not going to let you beat me up anymore. You can't have my health, my wealth, my kids. You can't have anything God's given me. I'm tired of losing. The Lord of the armies is on my side. God has created us to win. Battlefields are for winning. But the victory must be taken. David slung the stone. And, I, you know, I don't, I don't care. You can argue about, well, he was a great marksman. I don't hear all that. It doesn't matter one way or the other. Goliath had this helmet on, and it had this one small space, like right here, where he could see out of it. The stone, I believe, was guided by the hand of God, and it hit him in the one place where he was undefended, right above his eyes, right in his forehead, and it knocked him cold, and he fell to the ground. And David didn't know if he's knocked out or what, but David went over, and David took Goliath's sword out, and all this strength, he chopped off Goliath's head. I'm going to tell you something. It's not always fun being in battle. But it's a lot of fun walking back to camp with the devil's head in your hands. That's fun. That's fun. That's fun. Number four, last thing. The battle is the Lord's. Young people, moms and dads, grandpas and grandmas, the battle is the Lord's. If you're fighting your enemy, you're fighting his enemy. He's fighting with you. If you'll get up and sling the stone... God will send it right where it's supposed to go. Bring the enemy down. 245 times in the Old Testament, you see the expression, Lord of hosts, Lord of armies. You see it probably more than any of the other names of God. He's the Lord of the armies. Because God wanted us to know, for every battle that comes along, he's Lord over that battle. The battle's his. Go out and fight. He'll give you victory. The first time you see the phrase Lord of hosts or Lord of armies, it's the story of Hannah and Elkanah, her husband. When they came to worship God, they were going through tough family times. Uh, you know, Elkanah had other wives, which was customary in those days, and they had children, but Hannah... Even though he loved her and she was precious, she, she couldn't have kids, and she was grieving over it. And his heart was hurting, and he was doing everything he could to make it okay. And then there's this battle going on in the home. He's trying to keep everybody happy and make everything work. And they go to worship, and he calls on the name of the Lord, and he begins to worship the Lord of the armies. I think there's significance here. Because that may seem like a little bitty thing, but for that family, that was a great big thing. It doesn't matter if you've got a little bitty battle to fight today or if you've got a battle so big that you need all the armies of heaven there. If you'll call on the name of the Lord, he will come running to your rescue. And if you are willing to fight the enemy, get your ammunition and go, he will be there supporting his word, confirming his word, performing his word, doing everything that he said he would do. And the last thing, I heard a story years ago about a missionary who went to one of the nations in Africa, and it was 
very dangerous time. The nation was in the middle of the Civil War and there was killing going on everywhere. This missionary had started to work several miles from the, the main city. And where the work had been started, they were reaching these people. And he was having to travel back and forth on this road that became very dangerous. There were bands of robbers and thieves and, and, and murderers on those roads. And from time to time, people were being killed. Constantly people being robbed and having their goods stolen. And one day the missionary had to go to this small village. Nobody wanted to go with him except one worker. And so he took this one man with him to go out to this village. And several miles from the city on this dirt road winding through the bush, there was a group of rebels that jumped out on the road with machetes and, and, and rifles. And they said, give us your money. Give us your food. Give us whatever you've got of value. We want everything of value, even your clothes. We want everything. We're going to steal it and run away with it. And if you resist us, we will kill you. And that missionary stood there for a moment thinking, God, what in the world do I do? The only thing he knew to do was just begin to pray and say, God, you are the Lord of hosts. This is all the provision we have. We're taking it to these poor people who need help. God, we're taking Bibles and your word to them. God, please protect us and get us through this time. For you are the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Just as he finished praying, all of a sudden he looked and all of those rebels, their eyes began to get big and they began to back up slowly. And then one by one they started running off into the bush in all directions and they disappeared. And the missionary and his friend went on down the road and got to the village where they were going to be ministering. And that night during their church service there in that village, a man walked in from the outside and he said, I had to come here about your God. And they said, what do you mean? He said, I was on the road today with that band of rebels. I was there among them with a gun in my hand. And the missionary said, well, what was it that made you run away? He said, when you prayed that prayer, all of a sudden behind you, angels began to show up. And there were huge angels standing all the way around. And we were so terrified, we ran off into the bush. And we agreed to never come back to that place in the road again. Because your God is the God of armies. <laughs> Friend, Paul said, if you'll fight the fight of faith, God will fight the rest of those battles for you. I want to pray for you this morning. Everybody in the house, please, bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to pray. Father, I pray for every person in this room right now, especially those who are currently fighting battles, those who are going through things right now where they need you to show up in a big way. Father, I'm asking you to be the God, the Lord, who leads all the armies into battle on their behalf. While heads are bowed, how many in the room would just lift a hand and say, man, I'm, I'm in a battle right now and I need God's help. Just raise your hand, put it right back down. Yeah. I want to pray for you. Father, strengthen these people right now. We're, we're at the brook. We're getting ammunition right now. We're grabbing the promises of God. We're grabbing who you said you are. We're grabbing who you said we are. And Father, we're going to go out into battle. We're going to win these battles. We are not going to give up. We're not going to lose because the Lord of hosts is on our side. Father, strengthen us, encourage us to keep fighting. And let you bring victory into our lives in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. God, give us a determination to be sober and vigilant. Fight our enemy until victory comes. And while heads are still bowed, maybe you're here today. Maybe you walked into this church and maybe as you've sat here today, something's tugging at your heart. Maybe you've never come into relationship with God. Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you never embraced the fact that he's the son of God who died for your sins and was raised from the dead. 
me. As you've sat here today, maybe something inside of you realizes this is real. I don't understand it all, but it's real. Maybe you've got a battle in your mind and you're saying, you know what, I'd love to know God, but I don't want religion. We don't want to give you religion, but we'd love to bring you into relationship with God today. Maybe you're the prodigal. Maybe you once knew God, but you've been running in the wrong direction, and now it's time to come home. As you sit here today, maybe you're realizing, I want to get in relationship with God. I need God on my side. It all begins with words, an invitation, prayer. God's knocking on the door of your heart. He's just asking you to say, come in, Father, I need you. I need you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer right now that will help you open the door and allow God to begin to work in your life. So I'm going to ask everybody here, young and old alike, to pray this prayer with me right out loud. You don't need to scream it, but pray it right out loud. Let's pray this together. Say, God, I need you. I open my life to you. Please come and help me. I put my faith in Jesus to be my Savior and become the Lord of my life. Fill my life with your presence. Teach me your ways, and I will follow you. I want to know you. So that from this moment on, you will be my father, and I'll be your child. Make yourself real to me. I want to know you. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time or if you've been the prodigal running down the wrong road, God knows your heart. God's going to respond to that prayer, begin to work in your life. Put your faith in Jesus and trust him. We've got a little tool, a little booklet we want to give you. If you prayed that prayer today, a little booklet called The Next Seven Days. It's just a tool to help you get started walking with God, building your relationship with God. We want to give it to you. So when service is over, there'll be prayer teams at the front of the building. You can just come down to one of these teams and say, can I get the booklet? They'll give it to you right there, no strings attached. If you just want to get it and go, that's fine. If you want to visit, you've got questions, that's good. They'll answer any questions you've got. If you want prayer for something else going on in your life, they're here to pray with you. We just want to get you started walking with God. If you're in a big, big hurry, out just before you go out the main doors, out in the lobby, there's a table set up there with a sign that says the next seven days. We'll give you the same booklet there if you just stop by and ask for it, okay? Hey, God bless you. You just made the most important decision in life. We want to help you learn to walk with God. Can we put our hands together and just welcome people into God's family?